Excuse me. <laughs> you sound like Barry. Barry. Like a southern bear. <laughs> I'm a southern bear, all right. Mm, a southern bear. And I eat a lot of sandwiches. <clears throat> I'm kind of a sandwich bear. I like the three meat trio. <laughs> it's a salami, bologna. Hey, Django, what's that third meat you know I like? It was, uh... What's that one? The one with uh, the pepper on it? The pepper, pepper And it's cheese. red. No, the mate. Is Peppercini a mate? Saloon? Sal- Jeff, what's that third Salumi. meat I like? It's, it's, uh, you know, pancetta. Pan- <laughs> Mall cheddar on a pancetta. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep just... ordering pancetta because <laughs> I, I think it's the word for mo cheddar. Yeah, mo- <laughs> I just like... <laughs> like all the cheddar, pan cheddar, all of it, all the cheddar. <laughs> I would like some omni cheddar, please. Some omni. Can I get one three meat sandwich with the three meats that I like and the omni cheddar? I like a Denver omelet with the omni, <laughs> omni cheddar. cheddar. <laughs> Sir, you gotta leave. <laughs> Just an omni cheddar. The om- Can I have a plate om- of the omni cheddar? <laughs> Something with lots of cheddar, like omni. <laughs> Acceptable podcast episode 146. We're just a bunch of buddies who own and run a comic shop in Bellingham, and uh, every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comics. It's true. We count them, we sort them, uh, and we roll around in them in a sort of a filthy pig session. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and after we do that, <laughs> after we do that. I'm just surprised that like they Roman. just had pig noises yeah, like, like ready, ready. <laughs> <laughs> but Roman's just like fucked up. <laughs> That's the mama pig. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, after we do that, we take all the comics home and we read them, and then we come back to the comic shop for Wednesday. <laughs> and we um. Have fun at Wednesday, and then we come up here to record a podcast, <laughs> and I'm crying. Um, oh, shit, that should have been my name thing. Um, hey, I'm Jeff, and I'm, that, was, that was a good intro, guys. Good bit. Good bit. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I just want to live inside Roman's pig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Roman. I'll, I'll let you do that. Oh. I'm Django, and uh, I want to live inside Justin living inside a Roman's pig. Come Roman's on pig's in. name is Demetrius. <laughs> <laughs> this is my suey pig, Demetrius. Demetrius. Demetrius says, come on, join me in the water. <laughs> they got a real thing for southern guys on that <laughs> podcast. Oh, my God, we got to get back on the rails. Um, back so, in the trough. Back, okay, we got to get back in the narrow trough. Um, listen, we love comics. We're going to talk about <clears throat> comics and a variety of tangents that are either related to or unrelated to the books that we are excited about this week, the comic shop that we all work in, or the comings and goings of our lives. Uh, we're also going to spoil the piss out of the books. So you spoil should the take pig a look out of the books. <laughs> Suey. Yeah. Uh, and we Suey. should you should just take a look at the uh, information on your little podcast app. It'll give all of everything timestamps. Skip ahead if you don't want to know a thing. Um, Django's going to tell you all the books that we're going to talk about uh, today. Or he's going to do that. 
Today, we're going to talk about something is killing the children, number one. <laughs> Something's getting the fucking kids again. <laughs> uh, Doomsday Clock, number 11. Spawn, number Schley 100. Nice. Uh, House of X, number four. Mm, Legion of Superheroes Millennium, number one of two. <laughs> yeah. Berserker Unbound, Ooh. number two. Everything, number one. Doom Patrol, Number three. Three. Sorry. Seems like it's been coming out longer than that. And uh, Savage Avengers, number five. Spoilers are sponsored by... What do you got? I don't know. Pig... pig Roman's pig, pig house. Ro- ro- yeah. Roman's... Roman's <laughs> pork barn. Roman's <laughs> pork, little... pork barn and, and free apple cider. His little <laughs> bird mouth when he makes a pig sound is just... It's a horrible... Ho- look at that. Look at it's like he's a birdie waiting to get fed, but he sounds like a piggy. I bet there's baby dogs in his tummy like that uh, book, Once a Future King. Wolf tickets. Wolf tickets are sponsored by the wolf train. Django Born. Okay, something, you guys, we've got to talk about whatever is killing the kids. Why don't those kids run? Get out of the way, kids. Get out of the way, kids. So this is uh, by James Tinian IV, Werther Diladra, and Mikhail (laughs) Muerto. And... It's worth mentioning that we got a request this morning to talk about this book from none other than Ryan Russell. Who is also a frequent sponsor of our spoilers. Yes, and a Patreon subscriber. (laughs) (laughs) You should look for our Patreon page. Um, Tell us if you find it, because we're locked out. (laughs) (laughs) We need to figure out the password to that. Uh, This is from Boom Studios. Uh, It's kind of the hot book this week. People are freaking out. They were freaking out about it. Does anybody know if we sold out of this? No, no. Not quite. Um, it's part of the Comics Omnivore program, right. too, that we are part of. Um, so there's there's a dollar off for the first week that it's out, and uh, it's vouched for by a mysterious cabal. Chang, are you trying to sell this book <clears throat> on our podcast? No. No. Just, uh... He just put I don't it in we, my I, hand. I don't think Jango we would have ordered it like this, and, uh, I, like, it wouldn't have been returnable to us if we hadn't uh if it wasn't part of the comics omnivore you still all right on it uh doomsday clock no 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 no. that's not the goal that's not why we're here sure it's a part of it but it's not why we're here we're here to talk about whatever the fuck is killing the children i know we got a good read on what's actually killing children i really liked this i don't know exactly what's killing kids in it good i do this book is awesome it's the will's girlfriend (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, you're right, from Saga. <clears throat> this, so, I, I historically like Jimmy T.I.V., affectionately coined by none other than Braden Smith, mm-hmm. but I do think he has a tendency to be really overly wordy in almost everything he writes, and I was stunned at how well-paced this book was. I, I think it was, like, his most accessible and best-paced book. I was, as I was reading it, I was like, you're doing it, Jimmy. Like, you're you're writing a book and letting the art tell the story. I'm super proud of you. I went into this kind of scared. It's a horror that, book. Well, scared that I was going to have to read a lot of words, like you said. Because mm-hmm. the last last week, there was something that I started Justice reading. Thing. I was just like, oh, my God, there's so many words. It was Jimmy T.I.V. on Justice <clears throat> I felt like he was sitting on my shoulder making me read all these words. And... Uh, yeah, this this was way more streamlined uh, and and really, really cinematic, super cinematic, cinematic and and pretty scary. It was pretty scary. Justin, did you feel like the cool blonde girl was like an anime <clears throat> character? 
she's so fucking cool. Yeah, like that. Her her character design is awesome. Yeah, yeah. she felt like, you know, I would have saw her in a trailer on an Adult Swim cartoon and been like, I shouldn't watch that because my parents would be kind of mad, but I'm gonna watch I'm it. Gonna do it. She makes me feel weird in my <clears throat> nethers. I'm yeah, scared ooh. and excited. I was impressed at just exactly how bloody and violent the the kids' deaths were. Last night, I as we were getting close to close, I forgot to pull this book so i pulled it for myself and i just happened to like flip through it to see what the art looked like and i saw the page where the kids are getting brutalated and <laughs> they're, mutilated they're and, organs in trees yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just getting and i like roman was here i was like oh oh god like kids are dying something's <laughs> killing the kids and sure enough the kids are getting killed the children's um i really like the panel layout i did this. too you're yeah. right i didn't actually even as soon as you said that i was like hell yeah i did too but I didn't really think about it. But it's awesome. super interesting. Like there's some intricate panel layout here with minimal text for the number of panels that are there, which again is not the most common pairing for Jimmy TIV. Right. It, it also like the art art wise, it felt a little bit like um, witches to me. Witches. Like a like a less sketchy witches version. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, man. A lot of kids are dying though. Yeah, so this is just, uh, it kind of starts with like, a kid is at a slumber party and he's telling his kids that he saw a creepy thing in the woods and then they go out to look for it and it turns out he was lying but all of his buddies got totally fucking murdered and it sounds like there's been some other kids going missing and then just super badass blonde girl with cool bandana and, is, sword. and sword knives yeah. is killing something in the woods and she gets a bus and brings it here and is ready to kill this fucking monster that's in the woods. I liked it all. It, it ended... It ended having more clear of a direction than it seemed to have for the first three quarters, which is fine. I did really love the sort of like, what is this? Yeah. Right. I would have been fine without seeing the monster near the end of the issue and kind of having an idea of what it is. And if it turns out that was a red herring or it's something different, that would be awesome. Yeah, but fingers I would, crossed. Yeah, I would have been pumped to have it just be <clears throat> like, there's some brutalized kids in the woods because something keeps taking those kids down. Those kids. What um, a great name for a series. Stroke of brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Right. It had me scared and interested before I even knew anything about the book. The big title page is awesome. She's got a, a Slade monster tattoo on her arm, and that's also the logo in the back of the mm. book. So she, I mean, obviously she's a monster hunter because she's hunting monsters, but maybe she's from a clan. Of something, something is killing the thing that's killing, killing. the children, mm -hmm. and it's her. Dragon killer. And I like that she was just... You know, like, she goes to talk to the young boy at the end, and, uh, like, what did you see? He's like, yeah, you're not going to believe me. It's crazy. And she was just like, I promise you that whatever you say, I will believe. And it was just a – it was a – I think that James Tanyan IV has a real ability to write comparing compelling characters, especially, like, one-on-one -on -one relationships or interactions between characters. Yeah. That's, a that's I think, his strong point, but it oftentimes gets buried between a lot, beneath a lot of words. And this – I think he was able to do that and have these really nice human moments of connect connection and necessity, um, but he did it without burying you. Real yeah. good, Jimmy T. Yeah, I, I agree. The dialogue, <clears throat> the scenes like between the kid, the main kid who survives, and the principal. That that was a great scene. Yeah, him and the the monster slayer girl. Even even the bully guy on the steps. That was it really all well written. Real natural. It yeah. was. Yeah. Roman, if you were Did to take death? a look at this thing. How many pig squeals would you give it? Hmm. I think I'd give it. I think I'd give it a eight and a half pig squeals. 
squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Yeah, I can't, I can't do the squeal. Yeah. Jacob does the squeal. I do, yeah. the, I do the snort. Oh, and he makes his dead, dead face, and he unhinges his bottom jaw, and it just sort of claps around like he's channeling Satan himself. He turns into a pig for a second. He's like the warthogs in Princess Mononoke, when he's like got this evil spirit in him in the beginning. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Roman Statler. Um, so, Ryan, thanks for requesting us to talk about this book. I was actually excited about it. I, we probably would have talked about it re regardless. Um, but I do want everyone to know that they should, if they're ever curious about a book, please ask us to talk about it on the podcast because we love either that or it's just me telling everyone what we're talking about on the podcast and saying, you don't get any input, Roman or Django. Somebody <laughs> I have give a him some suggestions, please. Yeah, Roman. About this book before we leave it. Um, it's a really hot book, and it was like the 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 A cover was going for like eight to ten dollars online today, and the really? alternative covers are going for like fifteen to twenty dollars, which is bizarre and doesn't really make any sense because it was returnable to retailers like most boom number ones at this point. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. It's always interesting to hear what is going for a bunch of money. I just gotta say the art is so good. I really really like the art. Um, I would give it eight. Full dead kids and another half of a dead kid. <laughs> Diane's a lot of dead kids. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd give it seven and a half, whatever we're counting now. I don't know if it's pigs or kids. I mean, Dang. they both all taste about the same. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, this shit is dark. Yeah, Maybe Jane and Roman are the foreign bodies out in the woods killing the kids. <laughs> Oh, that long pig ain't as long as I thought it would be. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real short long pig. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shortest long pig I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, man, we definitely haven't been timing pig? these. What's a short pig? What's a long pig? Uh, come here, I'll show you. No. Uh, go into the woods with him. <laughs> go into the woods with him? Yeah, he'll show you all the lengths of pigs he's long got Long fingers there. and long pigs. <laughs> Uh, Doomsday Clock number 11 by Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, and Brad Anderson with Jeff Rob Lee on it's letters. Jans. Jeff Jans. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and Amy Brockaway Metcalf on back matter design. I've wow. never seen that as a credit before. Huh. Django. <laughs> When you said that whole bit about the back matter, you had such a like a curious, inquisitive voice. You were like, I've made a new discovery. It was very cute, Django. Oh, well, thanks, buddy. I... Don't really know how to recover from you that. You two are adorable. I want to talk about Doomsday Clock, but I want Django to be the one talking about it. Yeah, break because it down. Because you're the Jeff Johns guy, and you're the Batman guy, and you're the DC guy. Tell us about this book. You've got mixed feelings on it, and you have given this series several number tens. I've really liked this series so far. And this issue felt like a long bridge near the end of your trip. Like, this this issue didn't... It, it felt like it... I guess, kind of answered a handful of mysteries in the most twisty, turny, difficult-to-parse way it could. Um, and it didn't really feel like it moved anything along for the characters as much as it moved things along for the readers, if that makes sense. Um, I, like, I, I, could, I don't think I could tell you the plot of this single issue. And until now, every issue has had its own sort of beginning, middle, and end. So the big thing in this issue is that we learned that Lex Luthor has been finding these papers over time, or these pictures. They're the picture of, you know, Mr. Neutron, Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> John. Um, John and his girlfriend at the fair from Watchmen. And it's been showing up at different times throughout, you know, the 
since as early as like the 1930s and it's the yeah. same picture so it's somehow transporting through time and i really liked that i, I really think like that but that, that was kind of like okay now that's how lex luther has been aware of this and now he how he's circled in on it right and i really like the concept of and, and i don't think i don't think the pictures are just appearing i think that they're showing up i think dr manhattan is kind of dropping them when he there is footprint is in a place. Yeah, there is footprints. And I really like that idea because it seems to make him a little unstable and unpredictable. And I don't think that he knows that this is happening, which is disconcerting because he is kind of the omnipotent. Sure. I know everything that's going to happen until mystically in Watchmen and in this, something's clouding his vision. And the other big thing is that... <clears throat> It's a lot of a monologue by Ozymandias basically explaining what he's been doing this whole time, which a lot of it felt like we kind of already knew. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. It's a re, it feels, it felt like a recap. Though I did like that Lex uses those photos to expose that their universe has in fact been tampered by Dr. Manhattan. Like there, yeah. there's been divine intervention, which is something we kind of, all were led to believe in rebirth. Like, what if and the he's been messing around with the universe? Yeah. And the previous issue, it kind of <clears throat> overtly kind of showed that as being yeah. a thing that's been happening. Yeah. Um, and and uh, we also see the end of the Nathaniel Dusk episode that yeah. we've been kind of watching passively through TVs in, in the universe through this whole series. showed me a panel. Was it just because there was a blue butt on it? Or was it because he said 417, which is close to 420 and nice, bro? Or? It's, it's none of that. This the, the panel is Dr. Manhattan standing there getting ready to meet with Superman, which happens at the very end of the issue. But uh -huh. look at what's floating behind him. He has dropped one oh, of his own yeah. pictures. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So, so I think he's that clues. <clears throat> I don't think he's leaving clues. I think that he's... when something important is happening, he shits out uh, a picture. And and yeah. that's what Lex has been finding yeah, is his pictures yeah, that he's yeah. kind of his leavings. Yeah, and Lex doesn't think and Lex even tells all of that he doesn't he he's doesn't dropping. think whoever's doing it is aware that they're doing it. Right. Right. So to me Doomsday Clock took long enough and enough things had to change beneath it that it's kind of ending with a little bit more of a whimper than a bang in terms of, in compared to what I think it was originally supposed to end as. But I do think that the big thing is that it was going to be explaining and writing into continuity how shifts in continuity like the New 52 or Rebirth could happen. Right. To me, this series seemed like a way to cash on that Watchmen, which I have no problem with, mm -hmm. and also justify rebirth but now rebirth has happened like three years ago so it's like it doesn't really matter <clears throat> that all being said i still think it's an awesome series but i it just felt like oh this is the second to last issue anything could happen and it, it does feel like we're just kind of getting to the end of a thing that i have really enjoyed yeah and feels like it should be a little bit bigger than it is right now what i'm hoping is that this issue when you read the whole thing in a sitting or or in a in a week this issue will feel like it matters a little bit more, less less like an exposition dump about how Lex Luthor's been doing this. Because there's not a there's there's a whole lot of telling in here, not a, not a whole lot of showing. What if we read Watchmen and Doomsday Clock and then did a podcast about it all? Sold. And if you uh, if you read the back matter, I back read some of it matter. Um, you'll notice that the the pictures that Lex found are in places that we've seen Dr. Manhattan show up and hang out. And I think that Arkham Asylum, yeah, item number eight was was when 
Recently right. found by LexCorp in Arkham Asylum following a riot and subsequent mass breakout in the cell of an unknown prisoner known only as John Doe, five foot eight inch African American, brought in by Batman. So yeah. that's like that riot had mm-hmm. another another picture shit out when he escaped. I really like the back of the issue that somebody pointed out today has the beginnings of Superman's logo. It was huge. Oh. It was yeah, because Dino showed it to me. Uh, but it's been just blood trickling down, and now we're able to tell that Superman's cape trickling yeah. down, which is a pretty fun and much less macabre. It, like, that kind of churns the entire Watchmen thing on its head. Hope. Oh. A new frontier. Oh. For DC. What would you give it, everybody? <laughs> I, on the other hand, wasn't... Well, I mean, you guys were kind of saying a similar thing. I felt like the steam the kind of life force has been taken out of this book at this point. Like it all, I gave some very high scores to the first issue because it felt like it was going to build to something maybe not as important or as large as the Watchmen, but something similar to it. And it, the story just feels so small and to me kind of about nothing. Like it feels like now to me, it felt like, Oh, this is really more of a technical way to explain continuity errors or you know it's not Watchmen was socio-political it was like a, a statement and this feels more like we need to justify rebirth and you know things so to me it <clears throat> seems like a little bit the marketing is a little bit more obvious in this or the 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 gears of what it's there to do it seems a little more obvious so I'm a little bit dis like it feels narrower than I thought of. In my opinion, on the book has gotten less and less every time. I still like I still think the art's great, and there are parts that are really well written. I just like I had it in my head that it was going to be something else. And do you think that Superman and Doctor Manhattan are not going to punch him up in space? All I can still I think, think about gonna is that they're going to bro pound in space. They're going to like yeah. I was just waiting for like, are we going to you know? Is Justin's prediction from two years ago of these two punching each other in space going to happen? And I think we're going to get close. Gosh. Not to toot my own horn, but if we only saw this page after my prediction, it would almost look like that. Like yeah. It looks like, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, because there's just a planet in space. But no, I think they're going to, like, hug it out. I would give this, uh, I'd give it an eight. Realistically, yeah. I'd give it a seven and a half. But <laughs> as part of the whole, I'd give it an eight. Yeah, um, I'd still give it an eight. I do wish. Th- other DC books were all acknowledging this. Like, I'm really curious how Legion of Superheroes, what Bendis is doing with them, is it going to, like, tie in at all to what's happening with Saturn Girl here and this? I mean, does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I agree. It, it feels like all of the plans for this, for being a linchpin in continuity, were abandoned, unfortunately. A I, year I, and a half ago. And I would give this an 8.5. I... I <clears throat> I do still really like the art, and I love all of the characters, and I think it's a cool story. It is not like Watchmen, and and I think that it was represented to kind of feel like a Watchmen sequel, and I don't think that's what it is, and haven't for a while. It's just a sort of like a DC story capitalizing on that marketing, which I think is totally fine, but I think that if you're looking at it to be on par with the Watchmen, like you're super going to be disappointed because yeah. that's a masterpiece and this is a DC book. Yeah, it's not that deep. I mean, there's I mean, it's a good su- there's supposedly the social the socio political stuff, like everybody turning on Superman just you know from one broadcast basically, but you don't really feel that the emotion of that. It's 
I think you said that, Jeff, you said that, or maybe you said that it's it's telling and not showing us that. Spawn 300 <laughs> by Todd McFarlane, Greg Capullo, J. Scott Campbell, Jerome Pena, Scott Snyder writing Chapter 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jason Sean Alexander, Todd McFarlane, and Tom Orzachowski. I did not realize Scott Snyder was attached to this in any way. That blows me away. He wrote, I, was was Chapter 2 the part where it's just a dude walking upstairs? No, it was, <laughs> the, McFarlane, it was the McFarlane drawn one. Okay. I'm gonna oh, wait, no, maybe it was maybe it was the second part of the one of the one that was drawn by Capullo. Spawn 300 came out. This is, as of the next issue, going to be the longest-running creator-owned comic ever. Wow. Yeah. It's been around longer Although than Savage Dragon? I don't yeah, think Savage, Savage Dragon, Dragon more, has done 300. It hasn't hit 300. Um, Gold Diggers has done more than 300, but it has. they stopped and renumbered it at some point. And there's been lots of tie-ins. I don't know if those are related. He's, I'll give him credit for doing for publishing 300 issues, but he didn't write 300 issues. No. He didn't draw 300 issues. No. Like, it's record-setting, but you got to get pretty granular to hit that record. Can you believe right? that Django is splitting hairs about Spawn? Like our <laughs> know, Spawn amazing. guy, yeah, the yeah. guy who met Todd McFarlane, oh, got the signatures. Like the Todd guy is splitting yeah. hairs about Todd. I thought Cerebus got to 300. It got to 300 and then stopped. Exactly. And then the last like oh. two years, he's been doing Cerebus issues, but they aren't of the same series. Right. Yeah. So, it's so one does this get the credit for the longest running creator owned series now? The next issue will. Oh. According to the Todd McFarlane record-keeping services. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, got to be close. I mean, he's going to keep writing it, and it's going to get there. That was the name of his old toy store. Oh. Spiderworks? <laughs> yeah, that was a toy store he had in Kent, Washington. It's not how you sell a fucking toy. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. I wish, I wish that I have read Spawn. For 300 issues. <laughs> I wish that I... Man. I wish that I had read Spawn. Because Spawn exists as a thing that is super cool to me. And I've tried to read it before. And I've never been able to get into it. But the I HBO think... HBO show is cool. Yeah. And the movie, when I saw it and it terrified me as a kid, was cool. And I think that if I had started reading this as a nine-year-old, when I thought it was the coolest looking thing in the world... His costume is cool. Yeah. Magical I, Batman Spider-Man. I still hold that he is one of the coolest looking characters out there. Like, I, I'm a product of the 90s. I get it. I support it. Yeah. I wish that I had been reading it. I'm not... So I read half of this issue. I read the second chapter that was written, sorry, was drawn by Todd McFarland, and I read a chunk of the first chapter that was drawn by Greg Capullo, and then I read the final chapter, which was drawn by J. Scott Campbell, and she they create She Spawn, which like obviously it's about fucking time, yeah, Todd, and it's <laughs> dope. And I got to that page, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have a deep respect for Spawn, and I think Todd McFarland is kind of a bro, but. I also like him, and he's incredibly supportive of other creators, and I think what he's done is pretty cool. And I I, um, I was born in 89. I can't help but think that this guy fucking looks awesome. Did so, you uh, did you like the part where uh, Spawn is, I think, in hell? And, and he's wrapping barbed wire around his flesh and stigmatizing his arms with nails and, and declaring that he is Spawn, and Spawn is not what powered him. Yeah, first it's his yeah. markings, then his chains, and he just wraps himself in barbed wire. His belt, and he smashes a skull into his crotch. Yeah. It's fucking, <laughs> it's like... so over the top. Oh, and and finally, his spiked gloves, and he just pulls bone, like, rib, rib cage up and smashes Simmons? him through his... Yeah. 
this issue came out and it's noteworthy and I don't think that it's the best written comic. I don't even think it's kind of a pretty good, I think it's a finely written comic, but it looks cool and I think it has always looked cool for 300 issues and I, I'm, I want to give it that. I didn't read the whole thing. I, I gave it a real hard flip through though. Yeah. Um, and I spent a whole lot of time not reading the page with the TVs on it. And these characters got me in a way that I like, kind of like when I first saw Garbage Pail Kids as an adult. These three newscasters. They've been in it forever. They've been in Spawn yeah. since number one. And I'd forgotten their faces. It's cool. I want to give it credit. I'm going to give it, um, I don't know. I don't know what I can give it. I'm going to give it a 6.5. I'm going to give it a 6.0. I at, at some point, I just realized I, I didn't identify with the writing. Yeah, it's, well, it's it's a gorgeous book. If you're showing up to Spawn for the writing, you might you might have the wrong shirt on. I don't know. I don't know. I would. I agree. But can you imagine having been reading this for 27 years? Just every month, can yeah. you imagine getting a Spawn comic? The that ups would, and downs, baby. Yeah, that would be awesome. It would like, be bitch like, and Camaro, bro. Yeah, <laughs> one whole long box. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin, take me to what's the name of our lunar space den? Our lunar love den? Moonbase Sherpa. Moonbase Sherpa. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Take me to Moonbase Sherpa, where we got this tiny little Indian pot that we put this very small amount of tobacco in, and we hoof it. But Sherpa we sit pipe. there with a sheet over ourselves. Yeah, and those little hats with the balls on their heads. Bongos. I'm yeah. talking bongos. We're, yeah, fresh off fresh off the trail from the donkey market. Oh, my God. <laughs> Two fresh donkeys tied up outside the moon base <laughs> Sherpa. Sherpa. Um, <laughs> Damn, that's a good patch of yak milk you got for oh, me this morning. Oh, yeah, baby. It's fresh. Yeah, baby. Pours it on the skin. Anyway, um... <laughs> How uh, fucking awesome in House of X number four by Jonathan Hickman and Pepe Larraz, whose art I have grown so much more fond of. Same. Spoiler alerts. This, uh, <laughs> how awesome, how fucking awesome, Justin, when the the cuckoos link telepathically with each of the X-Men on the mission because they're a psychic hive mind. So now we have six, six consciousnesses sharing a shared consciousness Fucking and they cool. visually project it in water and there's all these shots of Marvel Girl's waterhead. Oh my God. It was fucking cool. So who's doing the water manipulation? You know, the cuckoos or everybody. Which ones are the cuckoos? They're the three blonde girls that are okay. in that Morrison run right, that are right. a big part as it goes on, but they're, they're right here. They're basically right, yeah. like a raid array. I don't know what those words are, but they trained under uh, Emma Frost. Okay, yeah, they um, look like that. Yeah. They got that. You can smell a telepath. And they were four psychics, but one died, I believe. Yeah. But they share a consciousness, and they're the, like, the world's you know, second most powerful psychics, you know, like being trained by Emma Frost, right. obviously beneath Charles and, and uh, Jean. Jean. This issue just follows up on the mission of folks that went to the satellite of the Mother Mold. The Mother Mold. Mother Mold. <laughs> and the suicide bomb milk. on them. And they've got a, just like a video game level. It was so perfect. Like we got four hatches connecting this yeah. Mother Mold head. We need everybody to go to one and bust this motherfucker out. Kick it into the sun. Dude, this was so fun. It felt like playing um, like the Sega X-Men game. Yeah. But when you lost, your friend died. Yeah, which is a bummer. Such a bummer. <laughs> Buddy! <laughs> oh, God, you're actually dead. Um, there was a lot of emotional weight 
I think some criticisms that I can agree with, though I'm totally biased and won't acknowledge. Personally. I won't acknowledge any criticisms. Are there yeah. a criticism? But no, people just say that Hickman's stuff is t- very cerebral and devoid oh. of emotion. And I agree that it is not emotionally focused. But I would say House has been pretty emotionally focused. No, I'm saying this This is what I feel like in other stuff as well. This is the issue I felt the most emotion with. Exactly. I'm saying that, like, if I've heard people say that and I want to say, like, this is a definitive hand them this issue. Yeah. No, 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 no. There, you can tell he likes these. Like, I got, not knowing these characters super well, that's so cool. We gotta make sure and just show that image of the water Jean Grey with the physical Jean Grey. Their voices are so eternally, internally consistent, and their inner interpersonal dynamics, like Scott's disagreement but respect for Logan <clears throat> in this, and his yeah. like absolute willingness to do whatever Charles says. Like you know, yeah. he's like, "This sucks, but I'm doing this," and he consistently is like, "Are you sure this needs to be done?" Okay, then we're doing it. Is huh. His like I, I love his his Scott. Right, yeah. He's completely dedicated to the cause. Yeah. I love the way Wolverine went down. Oh well dude, mm-hmm. for sure. Holy cow. Yeah. And the way great. Nightcrawler went down. Yeah. And like the thing Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, Nightcrawler made like, me think about you yeah. as I was reading. Oh that. yeah, what he, he says to Logan. Oh. I think it's established like this is I was like, man, Nightcrawler might be my favorite mutant. He's so fucking cool and he says yeah. he, he had me it, thinking about you strong as yeah. I was reading this. Yeah, that was beautiful because it's because like in the 80s, Nightcrawler was everybody's favorite X-Men. And, and he's been mine since. And I feel like he's kind of been downplayed a little bit in the last, I don't know, decade. But yeah, the, uh, this, even Monet. even and, and big spoilers again, everybody. everybody When Monet goes down. And everybody she's, dies. And she's an X-Men I didn't even care about. But her, her death, that was great. Yeah, and I don't know who that is. Neither do I. She was a painter. Yeah. <laughs> we, so we got to talk about his. Oh, I, I need to. We need to talk. Yeah. Justin, can I talk to you for a second? Uh, upstairs? In this issue, we're already up. Uh, oh, In this issue, everybody dies, and what that message f- is sent to Charles Xavier. So it's a real bummer. And then Charles just says, no more. And there's a giant blank Hickman page that says, no more. And then there is just six pages of like graffiti-style, black-and-white imagery just barreling down the thousands or millions of deaths of all the mutants and you can just feel the spirit and drive of charles xavier break and collapse underneath all of this total decimation i felt like there was rage there too and like, it to me yeah. it felt sorry Roman, were you just can i something? add to that and, yeah. and at the very end of those the last page that's black that page the way it's drawn yeah the way it's drawn with kind of that big image of charles and he's crying and the, the no more and then his image is in the no yeah that is straight out a homage to Neil Adams' X-Men nice. artwork. So that's even in there, too. I love that part, too. <clears throat> to me, this was like he's breaking. And I could be totally wrong because I don't know what the direction of the series is, but it almost felt like, oh, my God, this plan that we had, this House of X, didn't work. And now is it like, okay, now what are we doing? The, this, the morning this came out, Jenga was like, so like, what world do you think we're going to end in? I was like, well, I think we've been led to believe it's the 10th life and we're going to end in the 10th life. But this is her 10th life. And I was just like, is this, like, is the story the 11th life? Is this a failure? Because like, right. this is, mm-hmm. everyone's died. And now Charles is like, no more. And it had the feeling of like a broken man who was needs to make a new plan. What was your read on that? I felt like he failed. I feel like he's, we're going to see the continuation of this life Charles 
totally enraged and more like Magneto, like Charles mm. becoming the villain. Like he's all right, now we're going to go on the offensive. Um, and Charles, we may see Charles kind of do bad. Like he's already been pushed and this might be the decision that really pushes him too far. You know, we have seen solicitation for books with those dead characters on the cover. Right. You know, the number one has most of those characters. Yeah, Excalibur, Fallen Angels, all these other marauders, these experts. Just in case anybody was worried that the headlines are 100% right. Yeah, I mean, obviously not. I had a customer say that to me today, which was, I wish that we haven't, they hadn't released the images for these, the next wave of covers. Okay, yes, and they're dead to Charles. That's all that matters here. Yeah, maybe. And also, they're dead to us. We don't know what's going to happen. It could yeah. be clones. For, it could be- yeah, yeah, yeah. But but also, I think that this Charles, you know, three issues ago, birthed clones of those characters that I think are these characters. Right. So, yeah, they're dead to Charles, but I also think that they're probably temporally um, only placeholders to him to begin with. Like, okay. I think that they're a thing that was born in House of X1, and maybe grow quickly or built to die or our clones or maybe that technology has been passed away. But yeah, they are dead to Charles. But I don't think like these characters had died in the previous runs and everything. That I think that first scene was him cloning him and birthing those X-Men. Right. Do you think, I think maybe yeah. that the, the thing yeah. that Nightcrawler says to Wolverine is because when these clone bodies die, their consciousness goes back to their original bodies. And so... Because they... All Nightcrawler's have. like, when you wake from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. Yeah. I wonder if this is not, like, if, if there's a way out for their so brains, for their thoughts. Possibly they've all been given the Moira mutant power, or possibly <clears throat> that is just that Nightcrawler biblical yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, when Jason Aaron wrote that, um, like, 10-issue X-Men miniseries, like, three years ago that brought Nightcrawler back from the dead, mm-hmm. it was... The, it started with basically that scene of like Nightcrawler oh, yeah. on a cliff, on the edge of nothingness in heaven after having woken from the earthly slumber. Like, he's like a devout Catholic yeah. in the comics. So. Yeah. Yes. But I, I also was like, okay, it would be an easy interpretation for Hickman going for the Catholic thing for the character, but we don't know enough about what's going on that I was like, yeah, maybe this, there's yeah. some simu. I felt like, is this a danger room simulation? No. Oh. To prep them from the worst case scenario and Nightcrawler somehow knows or just his like Catholic faith, you know, was like, you know, he just really believes that there will always be a good thing at the end of it. But I had half a mind that this was a danger room thing. That's it's awesome. Just fucking grim. I, I, I could see that until the end of the issue where you see the, the noise yeah. in... Xavier's head, and, I, and I thought that that was really effective. I hate the way that those black and white pages with all the things look, and, yeah, but, but yeah. it did exactly what it was supposed to do, which is just kind of crash on you and and stay loud and and kind of painful to experience. It, yeah, it was graphic design-wise, it worked in absolute contrast to everything we've been given in this series like circles and structure and geometry and organized like, yeah and like you know through line and this is just yeah, fucked angles yeah yeah maybe yeah, really uncomfortable i could hear like uh like nick cave kicking his band down a long flight of stairs <laughs> when i was looking at this <laughs> hey justin 
I'm going to give it a 10. Yeah, I was about to say, I got a gooey duck. I got a big one. old fucking Taylor Shellfish <laughs> gooey duck farm on my hands. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Just boom. a bunch of fucking shelled fish on this table. I'll give it a 9. You know yeah. how much you like a character when you kill them off? And he gave every single one of those characters a respectful, yeah. respectful, amazing death. The the glorious death and the glorious lives. Like, this guy loves those characters, and I, I think it's fantastic. I don't know if the exact same thing can be said for Bendis' love of all 32 or 37 <laughs> characters that are members of the Legion of Superheroes Millennium number one of two by Brian Bendis. What was that, Roman? How many? Ten. Oh, I, I can't. Oh, I'm so here. fucking sorry, man. <laughs> gooey that duck. Oh get my it on the god! Table. I was gooey so duck. excited <laughs> about Boom. the segue. I saw the segue. I, I saw know, it I know, there, that's what, yeah. and I just jumped the fuck on it. And you're so patient. No, that's, that was a so great segue. Polite. It well, was just all garbage. put our tens back on the table. Everyone, zip my nine. My nine. Zip your tiny little gooey duck up, Jacob. Your little shellfish up, and we'll zip our big old monster gooey ducks up, and we'll get it here on the table for a second. 10.5. Oh, my God. It's so much bigger than it's everyone else's gooey dug. That's a it's gooey swan. from the shell. Well, when you guys are ready to convert, I have rugs for y'all. Legion of Superheroes Millennium. My one. arms itch. This is written by Brian Bendis and with art by Dustin Gwynn, uh, Jim Lee, Andrea Sorrentino, and Andra Lima Araujo, inked by Scott Williams, and then everybody else can ink themselves, but Jim Lee's too busy. That's got an awesome title. <laughs> oh, wait, all those guys inked Jim Lee? No, they all inked themselves, except for... All of the inkers are the exact same people who did the pencils, except for, curiously, Jim Lee is not listed, and Scott Williams, Jim Lee's inker, is listed. <laughs> Congratulations, Jim. <laughs> Uh, Roman, uh. as the biggest Rose and Thorn fan that I've ever met, and Legion of Superheroes fan, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm a little confused. I, I was a tiny bit disappointed that the the main title is Legion of Superheroes and they don't appear in this. Mm -hmm. um, I was confused at first about. I like this new idea of Rose and Thor Rose and Thorn being around. Apparently she's maybe immortal and she's got a broken brain. Um, I was a little confused at first because she's the splash. The first splash page implies maybe she has superpowers and she doesn't, which she admits. Really? Yeah. Then how the fuck is she smashing? Super I don't know. It's a no, no, no. It's a confusing page. Rose doesn't, but Thorn does. That's how I read it. Mm, See, it's confusing because later on, Rose. Rose says something. Oh, I guess Rose says okay. every Rose has its superpowered thorn. But yeah, I had to look it up to cause, to confirm what I thought. Is no, Thorn doesn't have any superpowers. Dang. Well, I wish I wish I didn't have Superman's superpowers to lift up. a rock like that. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little confusing. I mean, I'm in, I'm intrigued. I like the idea of trying to um, connect all the various until now apparently alternate futures in the DCU. The, into one timeline, maybe? I read this and was incredibly confused and was frustrated. The thing that frustrated me the most was that at the beginning, we have Thorn or Rose talking to Supergirl, and the backdrop of that is this incredibly futuristic world. And then a couple pages later, we cut to Batman Beyond, which in my mind is a much closer future. It's, you know, Bruce Wayne is still alive in it, so it's 40 years in the future, whereas. And that's a, a timeline that's supposed to be after the Supergirl timeline where the city looks hundreds of years advanced. Oh, you thought that was after? Because I thought the Batman Beyond thing happened before the but Supergirl scene. But it says, and, and then. then. The, like, hmm. And my problem with this is that I had not read any of these promotional materials 
that are in the back of all DC comics for the last like couple of weeks. This whole future <laughs> is now thing. I yeah. didn't also. And then I finished the issue and read it. And this series is like Bendis using a mysterious character who they weren't releasing until this issue, who is Rose and Thorn, who is unaging and is going to be taking us from the current DC to the future where the Legion of Superheroes is and somehow doing exactly what you said, Roman, trying to unite all these timelines to make it a cohesive thing. I didn't know that that's what the point of this was. So I was very confused, like, all right, when is the Legion showing up? Who are these? What is the timeline? Am I going from... Yeah, I wish they hadn't used the different art teams just for cohesiveness' sake. And and yeah, I'm, I'm still... Like a lot, and plus past stories, because I'm like, ah, oh, well, Supergirl was with the Legion, but not anymore. So that's why I thought this was after Supergirl was with the Legion. Now she's the president. So that's why I thought also why it was after Batman Beyond. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm intrigued with Rose and Thorn. I like the idea of the Commandi thing was kind of confusing. Like I still don't know who this character the was. The <laughs> scene of it was drawn. Who's fighting here? Yeah, I, mean, I I talked to a customer that today that Ryan? that read it. No, that's. No, it's Ben Boxer, yeah. who's from the Commandy comics. Oh, okay. But I had a customer today say that they had, had thought that it was maybe even printed backwards when they read it, because I was oh. like, I actually had that same thought. The way that the information is presented is a little bit backwards. So I think that the whole hmm. thing is got a little bit of Bendis, like, oh, I thought that Marvel told you this is what this was to it. You know, like there's all these DC ads and all these things, and I don't think that the series makes it super clear what it is. I think that it relies on a little outside information to, Meta. to frame it. Yeah. All that being said, I finished it, and for, like, the next three hours, I kept finding myself thinking about it and trying to solve it and think about what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And it reminded me a lot of seeing the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, as I was watching it, I was like, what the fuck is this movie? And then I spent, like, three days coming back to it and realizing I really liked it. Hmm. There were parts of this that... I just, I really want to know what happens next. I really want to see Rose or Thorne walking up to the door of the Legion of Superheroes like he kind of explains what this Millennium thing is supposed to be. is just bridging timelines and getting someone from our day to the Legion's day. Well, I don't, I don't know why we have to even fucking do that. Let the Legion be in the future. We don't need them to touch our present. Like, let them be affected by things that happen now, but... I don't need this far, far future thing that has a giant history that, honestly, I stop listening as soon as anybody says Legion of Superhero. And I'm the same way. I think I don't. I I, I, I can't pay attention to this it. This seems like an attempt to try and remedy that, which is if we just put this Legion book out, you wouldn't know who these characters are. But he says in this interview, yeah, there's like 32 characters or whatever. They all have distinct voices and distinct personalities. I'm totally out of my depth with doing this. And I want to try and create a bridge for a reader so that they don't just gloss over. Like that, that He yeah. says that in here. Because I don't care about the Legion either. I like the idea of trying to link them with our with current DC timeline just because tr- traditionally the Legion, you know, the 50s showed up in Superboy and he was their inspiration. And, and then they kind of redid that in the whatever, the Mark Wade, Wade Legion run where they brought Supergirl to their future and she was hanging out with them. And now, like this week's issue of Supergirl. Action? Supergirl is this week. Action was last week. Okay, well, in, yeah, in one of those, maybe that, act, last week's Action, they, they appear mm-hmm. and they bring the current Superboy to the future to apparently be, be their Superboy now and rebirth with the Legion. So I like them trying to connect that up. Um, and I like this. I like the return of 
Tommy Tommy Tomorrow and the Planeteers and the last story here. Sure, I didn't know um, any of that stuff, but I was like, uh, I like Araujo's art, but uh, <laughs> this feels really weird and out of place. It's a return, Jeff. I, of course. Yeah, it's it's. I had to Google him because I was like, I don't remember all his history, but yeah, he's an old science fiction DC character from the. Justin, fi- did you get wet in this? Did I get in the pool with the Legion. He's already I, watery. I am pretty watery. Um. I got a couple pages in, and then I was like, I'm going to eat lunch and come back to it, and then I had to come to work. Um, Like, you know, for me, Bendis is hard to get into, and his dialogue is a little tricky for me. And then I was, I want to like the Legion of Superheroes. There was a cartoon when I was maybe in middle school where Superboy, and and I liked it because I liked all the characters. So I tried to get into it, but I was just like, I ain't got time. But I wanted to say Superman's costume looks so fucking majestic mm-hmm. with Sorrentino's art. That's my only input that I have. I was floored and by I, the way that co- I liked that in there because in the Jack Kirby's Commandy series, I forget when they reveal it. It's I don't think it's in the first few issues, but eventually they reveal there's this like mystical artifact that people worship and it's supposed to be a sign of hope and maybe and just hope for the future. And when it's finally revealed, they reveal it's Superman's cape. It's not even his whole costume. It's just his cape. Jesus Christ. So we have to have read all of DC future shit ever to to understand (laughs) why these scenes are interesting or important. Well, but I think that if this didn't exist, you would have just been dropped into it, and it would have been way more frustrating because you wouldn't even know what you're supposed to think is interesting. You would have had future shock. Oh, (laughs) which is way more painful than static shock. You guys are telling me that they were going to drop me into a commandy story, but put a Legion of Superheroes cover on it? No, because it's kind of what they did here. Yeah, I think it's personally awesome. But that majestic costume, though. Yeah, and actually flipping through this now, I thought that the art bugged me a little bit, but now I see that it does have a kind of a continuity with the different futures because after the Batman Beyond future then we go into the commandy the great disaster has happened and the earth is destroyed and then once we get to the planeteers it's like technology is taken over again and everything and that's leading up to the legions where the legion of superheroes far future where the everything technology is really incredible so I, I like that continuity I'm going to give it an 8. I don't think it's amazing but it it made liking a thing that I've always wanted to like feel accessible I'm going to give it a five and a half. Yeah. Um, I don't think it stands well on its own. And I didn't, I liked the art or I would have given it a lot lower score. Some high caliber artist. It is. In one book. I love the art in it. It's really good art, but I was just lost and, and ambivalent through the whole thing. That said, I'll probably read the next one just to see. What do you precious angels give it? Um, I, th- boy, I think I'm going to, because I've been thinking about it all day, too. I think, I, I, think, I, I think I'm going to give it a nine and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not. But isn't that fucking weird? Fuck? Like, it's, it has this thing where at some point I'm just like, why? I can't stop thinking about yeah. this. Yeah. And I guess that's what I want art to do for me. And, and it, it falls into that category of just like, I can't quite make it fit. And it keeps rattling around. Yeah, and I want to make it fit with, wow, what's this thing? Struny, sorry. I want make it. I want to fit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make it fit in with 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 uh, Doomsday Clock too. Because I want. Well, what about Saturn Girl there? Oh my gosh. And oh, I went. I went off the rails on that last one. And I feel weird that I gave it a third of a Roman score. Dude, Less than a third. Give a book a five and a half. That's fucking. Less great. than two thirds. I don't know, man. I feel bad. But no, I mean, I did not like it. Future teenagers, like that's yeah. not Django stuff. But, Oh, we're talking about this book now. Oh, Berserker Unbound by Jeff Lemire and Mike Diodato Jr. with Frank Martin and Steve Wands. 
So the first issue, I didn't love. None of neither I don't of think us any of us. Did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was mostly just because it gave us like the most simplified. Twenty-two page yeah. generic. Uh, oh, I'm in a new time. Warrior. Yeah, I skipped the book. I didn't read it. I was like, oh man. The only reason I didn't skip it was like a morbid curiosity of like Jeff Lemire. You have there has to be something else going on here because you are a way better writer than this book. And Mike Diodato, who yeah. does some uh, this pretty feels cool like a art. Mike Diodato book. To me. <laughs> <laughs> it's his best work, but like, yeah, he, yeah, this is a Mike Diodato book. Uh, so this issue. Just follows our uh, barbarian hero hanging out with this homeless dude, and they have a, a severe language barrier. Dude, this it's fucking, pretty funny. Is it funny? I kept being like, "This is." I don't. I didn't. I didn't overtly say it was dumb. Roman, did you read this one? No. It is like he said. The barbarian hanging out with this homeless guy, and they are speaking in speech bubbles that neither of the one, like neither of them, understands, and yeah. they keep doing stuff. And it would never happen, and they are speaking complex sentences one or the other, and they don't understand it, and it's just like, okay, cool. And it's not very clear what's going on, and it doesn't seem believable to me that the two of them would be hanging out all day at this point. Oh, man. I I, I got a totally different read on it. Okay. I'm just, I'm the contrarian tonight, no, I, I guess. No, I mean, like... I believe that the barbarian would do this, all of this, because... Like, if you imagine that he ended up in, a, in the same situation in his time... I th- and 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 was disoriented. I think that he would follow someone who seemed like they knew what they were doing. I believed every interaction that he had and, and his reasons for following the guy because right. he had pointed out the runes earlier. And if you assume that somebody knows that these runes are, you know, this mystical thing, why wouldn't you go kill that guy? It just seemed like a bit that normally would have lasted like three pages, and it was the whole issue. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. Um. I'm curious what happens. I'm guessing it's probably four or five issues, yeah. but um, I'm in. I'm in for now. Well, I definitely liked it more than the first issue, and I, I'm not sh- like saying That's, it's a shitty book. It's just it was. There's uh, no way around liking it more than the first issue. Yeah, but it still is this like, what the fuck are you doing, Jeff Lemire? I, I think got a question. Yeah. Why? Exactly. He's got a million cash cows on the black black hammer farm. Yeah. He's got mm-hmm. all these spinoffs. He's writing a new Joker book, a new question book. He's Doing some Marvel work again. Like, why this? Why, out of all these things that seem like great nest eggs, he's like, but I gotta tell that story. It's never been done before where a barbarian comes to New York in the future time and he's confused. Like, maybe it fell out of him, or maybe it's old. Yeah. Maybe he's got a contract with Dark Horse and, like, hey, we, we want another book. And he's like, well, I got this thing. It, it also feels a little bit like. Jeff Lemire read a bunch of Mark Russell and kind of wants to say like, yeah, I want this outside voice to walk into these the food <laughs> bank and see that this is squalor. And he says things like, why do you let these warlords rule you people like this? And of course, no one hears them. And it's like, ah, very thinly veiled. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. we really are we're living in a, a state of America that is worse than barbarian times. That's a very complex way of... <laughs> if I that's what's going on, I wish he would stop. Jeff yeah, Lemire's I didn't. Mark Russell impression. Yeah, I did. I didn't read this in in Jeff Lemire's Mark Russell voice. It just seemed a little uh, bit like I've never seen you do that before, Jeff Lemire. And I always say your first and last name. And, uh, uh, and <laughs> well, we don't want him to get confused with you. Exactly. Yeah. Different last name, Jeff Figley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah big, um, league. big league, big league. I'm curious to see how it goes. I don't know if I want the barbarian to get back to his time, or if I want him to 
assimilate or stay hanging out with the I homeless to, dudes? I want him to open up a pet shop. I want him yeah. to just be like, yeah, I raise bunnies and dogs and cats, and the people come in and buy them from me. Ralph the Amtchadandavildet! Exactly, exactly. There wasn't nearly enough ghoul and cough in this issue. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would give it a 7. Yeah. No, a 6.5. 6.5. I, gi- I give it a 7. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, for a bunch of comics that I, I thought I liked <laughs> reading, I'm just pooping on them. Oh, I really liked all of them. Berserker and Pound, I still really enjoyed reading, but I was just like, just like Justin said, like, why? Why this, buddy? Like you're you do some of my favorite things. The the art scenes where they're just eating beans together, I really like the the colors on on yeah, the that dudes. Page it is, yeah. Looks nicer than I expected that book. Yeah. Best Diodato art I've ever seen in this book. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big Diodato guy either. <laughs> oh. Precious Get this man. wolf ticket back in me. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to listen, listen, listen. Way out. I'm going to put my foot on his chest and shove my hand down and grab the wolf ticket and pull it out. It sounds like Satan's pig. <laughs> so everything, number one, by Christopher Cantwell and I.N.J. Colbard. Justin, you are everything to me. And I am nothing without you. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. I'll start this book talking about everything. <laughs> Are you going to talk about Karen Berger? No. Okay. I'm going to talk about time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's time for me to ask you guys a question. What the fuck did I read? Yeah, man. I don't know (laughs) what this... I love the art, though. I did, too. It's so suburban and cartoony. It kind of reminded me of Rich Tommaso, who's not an artist that I particularly care for. He did those two issues of Black Hammer and then, like, yeah, Spicy Old and stuff. But it, it did it in a much, like poppier more appealing way and even though i didn't know what i read at all there's all these colorful box scenes of music notes and neon lights and it remind me of like yeah more pop art marcos martin or a more uh yeah like rick tomasio meets marcos martin in a weird way like there's i got nick darrington Huh. Oh. There's a very like What the fuck happened in it though? Nobody you knows. said something today that made it sound like you had a better idea than I did. Well, I read the back matter. I oh. think it's maybe Satan running a uh, shopping mart. Man, you have Roman has really rubbed off on you. <laughs> yeah, also <laughs> I read back matter now. That's well, uh, we got a live podcast coming up, folks. <laughs> so, the the thing that the thing that made me think something like that is the the line in the back matter that says, "What if the everything store was the Overlook Hotel, yeah. and what if you had The Shining?" Yeah. When I read that, I was like, "Oh, okay, that okay." So, so this story follows the Dreyfus, and there's a grocery store that has everything, and in that store, the <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. Hey, hey, hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying to read the back matter and I just realized I've tuned out for the last like minute and a half and oh, I think I'm going to have to edit it all out. <laughs> nope. And usually I have to pay attention when that happens. Finally so. got Justin to chant. Oh, yeah. man. You got to keep that Justin <laughs> chanting there. I do like the preview page for the next issue. Um, yeah, man, um, like it's it's October 1980 in this little town, and I can't even tell what the first page is about because this woman it's in glasses ad, gets right? gets no, yeah. I guess second page. Oh, she got blood all over, and then there's music, and then our main character wakes up and slubs down this disgusting <laughs> raw egg, egg and vodka, and and it's the big there's a giant superstore <laughs> called Everything that's having the grand opening, and and that's introduced. And the creepy people that run it are introduced. Um, Is this a uh, security guard at everything getting mobbed by some some motherfuckers up in everything? And that's like a future thing? I don't know. 
our absent dead, Legions of Dead. People. I was reading this and I was thinking, like, Burger Books doesn't put a ton of books out. Like, what is it that makes this one that got the green light? Like, what is the? Because it's got everything in it. It's everything. It's 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 a horror thing. It's it's a the stores like a portal to hell. I'm I'm thinking. So Christopher Cantwell, who wrote it, also wrote She Could Fly, and I was talking to either you or Justin about this earlier today. But I feel like Christopher Cantwell had a really good story in She Could Fly. Mm -hmm. It was weird, and it encompassed a lot of different types of story. Um, all boiled down into one tight four or six issue run. And then the sequel, I have completely lost the thread and I, I can't keep reading it because I don't know what's going on or, or why anything is happening. And I feel like this issue has all of the confusion that that sequel has and uh, but but a little uh, something that's a little more compelling. Like I want to know what's going on here. And so I kind of wonder if this isn't just kind of a new writer who is sort of finding their their cohesive voice. I think that I think that's exactly right. I, I think that um, she could fly got this uh, fellow's books greenlit, and this is his next pitch. And I do think that he's working some bugs out. It is compelling in some regard. That scene at the end of her, the main character hanging out outside the dark everything store with like the lights flashing on in different ways, and then the weird melody and they're, she's like contorting around. Yeah, and... they're conveying information in a unique and kind of unnerving way. I didn't know that it was The Shining in a compartment store. So I think that that is interesting. And <laughs> Got I, I Jeff to read chant. That. Don't you ever fucking put things in my mouth again. Uh, you know, like... In Dakota, they're small-town cops. Fargo. 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 He does the Fargo show, and his stuff is very kind of psychedelic and cerebral and weird. And a lot of his episodes start with this long, hard open that has these big panning scenes. And you're totally bewildered and confused, and slowly you kind of come back to that moment and yeah. it makes a different light. It felt like that, that, but that just went on too long. Like, it was a hard open, and I was like, <clears throat> when are we coming down from the trip? Like, when... Do I put the bong down and realize I'm just in my living room? Like, like I was just like, this is all very cerebral and psychedelic and weird, but it didn't come back to its own. Yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. Like, it didn't come back to its own continuity where you were allowed to make those moments make sense. It has something that was instantly appealing to Justin. And I think it's like, is it cosmic? Is it scary? Is it, What's going on here? The colors are very... Man, as you just said that over the last 25 seconds, I was like, yeah, it's like a 5.5. No, it's like a 6. No, I'm going to give it a 6.5. <laughs> like, all of those things that you just said was like, yeah, 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 for me. But it ended at a 6.5. Yeah, it's gonna, I... It's going to have a werewolf in it. A werewolf. A werewolf. Yeah. I'd give it a 6.5. I want it to be more. Like, I, it's got some kind of unnameable factor that I really like. Yeah, there's something there. Rolls. I'd also give it a 6.5. I'd give it a seven. Man, I'm I'm wondering. I'm wondering, and maybe I'm going down the path of that documentary about The Shining. And I'm just creating things that aren't here. But now I'm looking at this. I'm going, oh, when she's in the bar, the swank. Maybe that kind of parallels in some ways when Jack Nicholson's character is mm -hmm. sitting in the bar at the Overlook, and then maybe when she's sitting outside the Everything Store at night in her car. Maybe that kind of parallels Jack wandering around in the maze. Oh my gosh, this is all going somewhere big. What if? So you're digging it. What do you what give if? it? I'm giving it an eight. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Roman. I like this this 
homeless guy on fire at the end for some reason. Sure you yeah. do. Uh, Doom Patrol number three or number f- 15 or something. By <laughs> Broadway, Jeremy Lambert, <laughs> Steve Orlando, 15. Doc Sheener, and Tamara Bonvillon. What? Is she, Justin, this was your pick of the week? Uh, I mean, besides X-Men. Well, of course. That doesn't count. Uh, but That's I can't. The crown jewel. I don't want to make a joke out of myself. And then I figured Django Too was going to do something. <laughs> something is shitting on the... I mean, sorry. Something is killing the children. <laughs> something uh, is pooping on my kids. <laughs> uh, so I picked this because, you know, I'm a joke. Um, hey, Justin. Yeah. As I was reading this... You're not a joke, okay? You like weird things, and I kept trying to get into this, and it didn't ever rub me the super right way, but I just kept being fascinated by you as I was reading this, because I thought, this book is going to make sense, or maybe it won't make sense, and I've watched the first episode of the TV show, and I was able to know all these characters, and I read the whole Gerard Way run, right? and... I just, the whole time I was like, I can't wait to just say, Justin, what did you like about this? Not in a, like, what did you like about this? But, like, what did you like about this, you precious star child? It was like Legion, the TV show. No, it was A really it hard, was... long canning open. I didn't read issue two of this. Did this issue just drop us in, like, in the middle of nowhere? It's all just made no sense to me. I can't say that I have a read on what this book is. I like it that being said, that's kind of what Doom, my relationship to Doom Patrol is. It's uh-huh. like, let's just see kind of how weird we can get. The art in the last one was particularly trippy, and I find this story, it's three issues in, and I don't know the thrust of the series. I don't know why, besides that the Doom Patrol are back and they do weird shit. This one felt like we're seeing a flash of, of a world that's pretty bad based off of some of the characters' bad decisions. Um, I really just like Cliff as a private detective. Did you read this, Roman? Yeah. Um, Awesome. And I want to know your thoughts. And we get to see some old fundamental Doom Patrol characters. Mento hasn't been seen yet. Mm. Um, And I like Mento a lot. I don't think we've seen the Beast Boy character. Is that OG Beast Boy? That's Beast Boy. Yeah, Yeah, he he came out of Doom Patrol. He came out of Doom Patrol. I didn't know that. was adopted to the Titans. Um, which I like that era. I like really old Doom Patrol, like this team, Mento. I really like Mento and Negative Man. Do you guys think that part of part of the confusion is this little trick that they did at the bottom of the big opening splash page where it says that this was printed in like a reprint of a 2031 comic? Right. They're, that's a device throughout the whole <clears throat> issue is they're referencing things in a run that hasn't happened yet right. to try to like jump you in and make you feel like there's this entire like life lived that never was right and that's kind of what this whole issue is about is we're in the the fallout of lives that have been lived so this this issue kind of takes place in the hypothetical reality where doom patrol has had you know hundreds and hundreds of issues dang fingers crossed gerard way i realized what i what has really kind of bothered me about this doom patrol run since kind of i started to lose some of the newness from, from Gerard Way's characters don't really seem to mesh with the Doom Patrol storyline that he sets up. Like, I feel like sometimes I'm reading, like, a Doom Patrol book, but I never understand why Casey's important, why Fug is around. Well, I would I would agree and go so far as to say that I don't think he's written characters. Right. None of them have a consistent personality, and I'm not someone who reads a book and is like, oh... This needs to be, like, it needs to take place in Doom Patrol continuity. Like, I don't think it needs to make sense out of old stuff or build off. But it just, like, 
I really feel like Gerard Way is writing a Casey Brink story mm-hmm. and calling it a Doom Patrol story, and they never seem to meet well. Like, I can never mm-hmm. understand what she wants. And she what doesn't her seem important in it. No, and she's often kind of annoying, and it feels like all these other Doom Patrol characters are just kind of furniture for her to go on her journey, but I don't know what her journey is. Yeah. So the best I can kind of give it is it's kind of colorful nonsense that has a stench of nostalgia to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really like Mento again and Cliff, like there's a familiarity. And other than that, like I, I don't think I would try to tell people to read this book unless there's someone that's like, yeah, I'll read everything. Doom Patrol come like just, how some people will read every Red Hood and the Outlaws book, even if they like it or not. Like it's just that's a character I like, and I'll read everything that's in there. Um, I liked it a lot because I like kind of spoofy noir stuff too. Like I like when there's like a really hot boiled hot night yeah. in hell. Other than that, uh, you know, uh, a biased seven. Boy, <laughs> uh, I totally agree, Justin. I'm, you summed it up perfectly. The uh, colorful nonsense with a with a nostalgia yeah, yeah i think that's ex- the perfect description yeah. of it i'd probably get it like more like a six yeah yeah i would i would go six as well but i had a really fun time thinking about you reading it and not a bad comic at all six six point five it, it would yeah. I'd, g- I'd give the variant cover a nine yeah it's a gorgeous <laughs> cover i dropped that off that series at about the same time as jeff but for the opposite reason i was afraid that i would become too turgid reading about that cat that was a person that was fucking things so <laughs> i don't know what turgid means justin what's turgid it's a lot of rigid and stiff yeah I don't get Filled it. Filled with I, blood. I love that yeah. Justin's description of it was uh, a gesticulation. I just need to talk about Savage Avengers number five by Gary Duncan and Mike Diodato. <laughs> this book is, this one is the one where the, the whole thing like reached fever pitch dumb insanity to me. <laughs> and the first four, I didn't read the very first one. I just jumped in on two and I've dug all of it because it's just like, the, the, it, go, 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 it's like, yep. Nuppy, get your gun. We oh, gotta kill, fuck, yeah, some yeah. children. Um, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I knew something was children. killing the children. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. Uh, but no, uh, it, 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 it's the perfect, the Conan books are too much all the time. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to me babble on and on about Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force run. I'm not a guy who loves Deadpool. Deadpool is a part of Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force run, and it's he's hilarious and perfect, but it's because he's used sparingly and peppered in in the background occasionally and not the forefront of the story, and that's how Conan is used in this. Yeah. And Conan is hilarious, and I didn't read the first issue, and Django made an equally topical joke at the time uh, of, of there was a lot of first appearances of characters coming out. And Django, after the first Avengers issue of Savage Avengers, was like, we got the first appearance of, you know, it was like Wolverine of Pabst or something like <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah, that was Wolverine introduces himself as Logan of Pabst. Yeah, like Conan says something like, I am, you know, Conan of Samaria or something. <laughs> and Logan says, like, I'm Logan of Pabst. And then, like, that's not mentioned again. Except for now, four issues later on issue five, <laughs> there's this moment that is the, the over... The monologue, the the overdub is Conan, and it says, like, the narration is, it's not even him, it says, Conan cared little for his new allies and their magic. The lone exception was the diminutive warrior from Pabst. <laughs> Conan already had hopes of acquiring his own set of sneak blades. <laughs> and it's like... But that's a story for another day. <laughs> and, like, that is just, that's, that's what I want from Conan, is, like, make fun of him... 
in the right way, make fun of Logan in the right way, hold a joke for five issues and wait to pay it off like that is so much better. And I wouldn't have gotten it if Django hadn't said his own joke on that first week because I didn't read the first issue, but the whole issue kind of continued like that of all these overwrought moments of kind of comedy, but it was even more almost like seemingly self-referential than a, a normal Conan comic. This was Conan self-aware of Conan making fun of Conan, whereas... You know, Conan stuff is still taking itself a little seriously. Dude. And it ends with just Conan and the Punisher walking off into the snow together, which is so rad. <laughs> and and the next issue is supposed to be them fighting a big fucking Conan snake in the snow. <laughs> um, the part of this where I was like, okay, if, like, if you had started here, it would have set the tone for the entire series is when Wolverine has his two hands worth of claws in the skull of the Carnage or the Venom Beast. And... It's healing too fast for him to get it in. So Conan, with his big old sledgehammer covered in uh, symbiote, and Venom, with another hammer covered in symbiote, just start slamming their hammers on Wolverine's elbows to drive the to drive his claws deeper into the thing's brain. There's I was like, no, that's fucking crazy. There's no illusions about this being high concept comic book. No, it is just so like dumb. it is. If you, but in the it's so dumb in the absolute best way. Yeah, like, it feels yeah. like Donny Cates was like, "Hey Gary or Jerry or whatever the fuck your name is." <laughs> Step beyond my Cates gate into my mind's eye and say some silly dubious shit with me. <laughs> like it was, it is. It is it is very dumb in a, hey, in a uh, very good way. Jerry, you ever go buck wild? <laughs> Let me tell you about my friend, the symbiote. <laughs> you can use him. You can have a little bit of him. What we've slowly watched is Django's blossoming into an actual literal fan of a symbiote. He yeah, loves oh yeah. Venom now. He was yeah. like, with the big carnage hammer. And Man, I want to have like, I want to have a month and a half where every intro to the podcast is just that audio sample I sent you and Django of him <laughs> talking about how much he loves carnage. Like one month of Django fucking loving carnage. <laughs> so yeah, I give this book like an 8.5. It's a fucking good comic book. I, I give it a 7.5. It's, it's hot flaming garbage and I love it. Roman, which part with Conan got you the most fucking dirty rock hard? Turgid! Well, Turgid rock hard. Well, of course, that moment with with driving Wolverine's claws in and, and Wolverine just screaming like, Argh, again! <laughs> uh, but I love the fact when he's, after the adventures is over and they've defeated the sorcerer, um, when he's describing to uh, to the Punisher... Because the Punisher asks him, who's this Krom you keep blabbling about? And Conan tells him, it's basically the Arnold Schwarzenegger's line from the Conan movie, just about Krom sits on his mountain and watches us all. And, you know, he sits in silent judgment, and the day his strength leaves us is the day we die. And the Punisher's like, hmm. <laughs> I love that. And I love the drawing of Krom's mountain, and, and that's Conan's whole religious, his whole spirituality, his philosophy is simply this god that doesn't give a shit about you i uh, read this book sitting on a couch right next to the the strong dusty turgid roman statler and uh <laughs> i turned to him at this double page here um which was is about, roman also also reading this? no no, uh, no he i was, was watching, watching the wrestling i was watching the he wrestling. was watching the human fightings <laughs> yes <laughs> and i turned to him and i said oh frank miller yeah. Mike Diodato is clearly <laughs> heavily influenced by Frank Miller. He's he was franking like, his oh, Miller. Yeah. But, like, there is a page there that 
It's, oh, yeah. It's like, and as soon as I saw that panel, I was like, oh, everything he's done has been built on the back of Frank Miller, but I never realized it until that page there. Yeah. It's because he overlays crosshatching. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I never realized it either. Until you pointed in other that out, comics, yeah. this one doesn't have halftones. And the way he's using shadow, mm-hmm. and it, like it's, and the way the muscle <clears throat> is, and the angles of the body, it's incredibly Frank Miller. And I didn't ever think that. And I've just been, yeah, I have that's... spent so much time thinking about Frank Miller in the last two months since fucking Superman Year One came out. Good. I'm not. I'm not excited to read another five issue arc about Kula and Gath. No, but how many Gaths on a Thirth would you give it? I give this a, a seven gaths and a thirth. Okay. I would give it eighth ghoul and some four thirth. <laughs> what? Oh. Uh, whatever you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, I give it. I give I get eight. Eight gaths. <laughs> Roman, I love that you don't have to be in on a bit to get a bit. You just get that bit. You put that bit and you say, I'm grabbing some snacks. That's my bit. bit. Yeah, yeah. He looks at us spewing bits and he says, I'm going to grab myself a snack. And he just little, takes off a little munch for himself. Um, I don't need salt. My, my sweat's salty enough yeah, for this tequila. But you guys are funny. I'm going to grab a snack. Um, listen, uh, I got to go home and listen to the new Tool album some more. <laughs> um, tools. What is that like? Will you send us home, Django? <laughs> uh, no! Oh, it's Satan and he's got that hot wire poker and it's so close to my Eat the yogurt. Okay, so I'll just end the episode. Or you can do a goodbye, or you don't get any dessert. <laughs> Roman and Justin, you did fine. That Django is the one in trouble here. Uh, I'm Justin. So and I eat the yogurt. Episode one forty-six. Django. <laughs> I'm Roman. Um, we're doing a live show on October third. If you want to see this live, if you want to be a part of this live, lower your standards. Question <laughs> your life. We're putting recording this podcast. Thanks for everyone being really patient about episode one forty-five. Guess what? I haven't had time to put it up yet. Um, but uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being there October 3rd for the live recording. You can get us a voicemail. We would love to have voicemails for the live recording. one 669 That'll take you to a voicemail machine straight there. And uh, we would love to play your voicemail live at the show and answer it. You can also just sort of like request a book for us. You could do that in the shop. You could call us. You can also write an email. Send that to info at thecomicsplace.com. I wanted Django to do this so people didn't have to hear me more. But Django did this. And he's just sitting there looking like a dusty pile of garbage. You should have seen him. He was asleep in a beanbag right before we recorded this. He was like looking like a tiny Cajun boiled egg. Yeah. <laughs> like a little shrimp baby dying in some co- cocktail sauce. He sleeps naked. Naked. <laughs> Tony Chatteris in water. That's how you keep the colds away. <laughs> Best right. hangover cure there is. I'm Tony Jeff. Chatteris. Really enjoyed the books this week. Really enjoyed everybody but Django. <laughs> no, I really like him too. We'll see everybody next week. Who's Butt Django? <laughs> Thanks. Thank God you're always here. <laughs> I want to meet Butt Django. A meat butt, Django. <laughs> I'm Django. We put a lot of work into this thing, Django. <laughs> oh, shit. We just can't end this one. I'm Django, and um, Jeff, I, okay. I'm Django, and I don't remember the last time I laughed as hard as I did at the opening of this podcast. Yeah, so thanks, intro. everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, Thanks, I'm, Roman, yeah, with I'm his ro- dead bird pig sound. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like an eagle crawling out of a pig's mouth. It's like uh, when people dislocate their jaw and just shake it. I, I, I learned some good things growing up on the farm. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I'm calling Yelp. Uh, Yelp. <laughs> Justin. <laughs> I just, Django helped me remember Tony Chatteries, and I love that. I just love that so much. Tony Chatteries? I don't know what that is either. Tony Chatteries. Come here, I'll show you. Django, say Tony Chatteries. <laughs> no. I'm not your goddamn trained monkey. Do it. Tony Chatteries. No, it's so it's so much faster than I how I say it. Tony Chatteries. <laughs> say it. Tony Chatteries. Tony he's, Chatteries. Yeah, he's just so goddamn fast. Yeah. I'm Django, and I'm Tony Chatteris. Yeah. <laughs>